1997, Dave and I were settled in Pasadena, California. We were making plans to put an addition on our house. Our youngest had just turned four. Life was stable. Dave had a good job. Our children were in a good school. We loved our church. I loved the ministry I was involved in. And then, all of a sudden, the President of the United States cut short the defense program Dave had been working on for just about his whole career. And just like that, about 10,000 engineers and staff were looking for work. It was sudden, unexpected, and very unsettling. Six months later, Dave and I had sold a house, bought a house, and moved clear across the country to Maryland. Dave had a few work acquaintances, but otherwise we knew no one, and we had to rebuild our lives from the ground up. That year was one of the few times in my life when I felt intensely lonely. And it was very hard on our daughters as well. I often wondered that first year why it had seemed good to God to so uproot our lives. Let's pray. Oh God, you are the creator of the universe, the master architect of time and history, ruler of the stars and ruler of the earth. And yet as vast as the cosmos is, you have made it your personal concern to be with each of your people. Please help us to see our stories through your eyes, to see how you redeem and recast the circumstances of our lives and how you make yourself available to us, having promised never to leave us or forsake us. We pray it to the praise of your grace. Amen. Last week, Bill gave a definition for loneliness that made a distinction between being alone and experiencing the emotion of loneliness. Loneliness involves being sad because of having no friends, no one to be with, feeling isolated and cut off. And then going deeper, Bill added that sense of not being known, not having someone to share joys and sorrows with who would understand, not feeling accepted for who you really are, and there being no one to enjoy you, to experience community with you, as God experiences community as three in one. Bill ended with a significant truth. Jesus experienced crushing loneliness as he bore our sins. And now, having finished the work of redemption, Jesus is keenly attuned to you and me and what we experience. Jesus by his spirit is able to truly offer you and me ever-present comfort and companionship. So this morning, we're gonna see God rescuing a very lonely person who had reached the very end of herself, literally all alone without friend or family, without a single resource, and finally, without hope. We're gonna look at Hagar, first as servant, then singled out, and finally sent away. Now, Hagar had become a part of Abraham and Sarah's household when they were sojourning in Egypt, and Pharaoh had paid a handsome price for the privilege of marrying Sarah. Hagar's servitude began in the relative ease and comfort of Pharaoh's palace because she'd been specially selected as a personal handmaiden to the king's wife, who was Sarah. Ancient Jewish commentators add that she was also, most likely, a daughter of Pharaoh. And she would have had a good and stable life then, as part of a large retinue of royal staff, living in her native land, in her family and heritage. All that changed when a plague sent by God swept through Pharaoh's household, and ultimately, Pharaoh exiled every person and everything having to do with Abraham because of it. Hagar's life took a sharp, 
unexpected and devastating turn. There is no way she could have known, as Sarah and all the servants were hastily grabbing their belongings, that her destiny was underway. All she knew in that moment is that she was being torn from her home and her country and her people, and from the good life she'd always known. Suddenly, Hagar's language and her culture and her people were the minority. And what other servants who were being taken now were also going to be enslaved as she was, none of them were going to be royal servants anymore. In fact, Hagar's name is actually a composite word in Hebrew. Ha means the in Hebrew, and Gar means resident alien. In fact, her name, if we were going to say it in Hebrew, would be Hagar, the resident alien. Her people surely had known her name. However, it seems neither Sarah nor Abraham ever bothered to find that out. Now, some of you know what that's like, when all of a sudden upheaval comes into your life through the loss of a job or the loss of someone important to you or the loss of a home or a marriage or a relationship. In a very real sense, the COVID-19 pandemic has done this to all of us. Sudden, sharp, unexpected change, even good change, creates stress. We need to find a new balance and we need relationships with people who matter to us and who we matter to, to help us process what has happened and find a new stability, a new way to live with our changed circumstances. When, like Hagar, we find ourselves bereft of our community, we lose a basic life resource, and then being alone can become acutely painful. Life changes can make us feel both alone and lonely, especially when we do not have our community to turn to. I hope there were other Egyptians in Abraham's caravan. And I hope Hagar reached out to one or more of them. This is one sure way to find community, to reach out to others and offer help. I once read a book that claimed there were 10 prayers God always says yes to. And here's one of them. God, please work through me to help someone in need. When you and I help someone, we reduce the amount of suffering in the world, including our own suffering. We become part of the process of God working things together for good. It seems contrary, doesn't it? I need someone to pray that for me. I'm the one who needs help. But no matter how many problems you and I have, no matter how lonely we are, there will always be opportunities for us to help someone else in some way and to lessen someone else's loneliness. And we can discover there is real joy in that. You and I may discover that our loneliness will seem a little less because we were God's instrument of love and mercy and lessened the suffering in someone else's life. Now, it's probable Hagar was young, healthy, lovely, and most likely a virgin, judging what happened next. Once in the wilderness, when life had settled down to the previous rhythm of pastoral nomadic life, it seems reasonable to believe Hagar may have started nurturing new hopes and dreams of what the rest of her life could hold. That all changed when Sarah, who had every right under the laws of the culture she had come from, decided to build a family through Hagar. Once again, whatever Hagar thought her life could be like, it was taken away from her that day. She would no longer be considered marriageable or available to make her own home. And she did get pregnant. But try to imagine what that must have been like for someone who was called the resident alien, 
who had twice suffered extreme loss at the hands of these two people who had been forced to have sex with the master and now carried a baby who could never be considered her own, but would be considered the heir produced by the mistress. Hagar found herself both strangely elevated and sadly devalued. During her first trimester, Hagar endured increasing levels of abuse, as Sarah's bitterness and Abraham's seeming indifference left her completely without friend or hope, once again cut off, isolated, alone. She fled what must have seemed unsurvivable circumstances, but once in the wilderness, Hagar must have realized that she was truly in every way lost. Then the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to shore. This is the first appearance of this phrase in the Bible, and most scholars believe this is a theophany, the physical, although pre-incarnate, appearance of Christ, the Son of God. And he said four things to her. Hagar, slave girl of Sarai, where have you come from? And where are you going? The Lord spoke into the identity she now had, knowing that she was called by this resident alien name, knowing what had been done to her, and who had done it. Hagar admitted she was running away, but she seemed to have no plan for where she was running to. The angel of the Lord said to her, Return to your mistress and submit to her. But why? Why not create a safe place for her in the wilderness, rather than send her back into the teeth of those who had so misused her? God did not say, and Hagar may not have known, that God intended for her to experience the grace and blessing of God within the household of Abraham and Sarah, where God would be present and Hagar would be provided for. I picture Hagar's shocked and drawn face, hearing these hard, hard words from the Lord, but God was not finished. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will so greatly multiply your offspring that they cannot be counted for multitude. Of special note to you and me, and of great encouragement and affirmation to Hagar, was how God phrased that promise. I will. This was a promise attached to the command. Go back to that place as hard as it is, and I will be there for you guaranteeing a future you never imagined, but I will personally attend to it. And then your offspring. To Abraham and Sarah, Hagar was no better than a nameless tool. But to God, she was a person, one of great value. And God saw the baby she was carrying within her as her offspring. God created a bond for Hagar with her unborn child. This was not Sarah's. This was Hagar's child a child of promise and destiny apart from whatever God had in mind for Abraham and Sarah. And in that moment, Hagar must have realized she was not all alone after all. Then God told her about the baby she would have. And the angel of the Lord said to her, Now you have conceived and shall bear a son. You shall call him Ishmael, for the Lord has given heed to your affliction. He shall be a wild donkey of a man, with his hand against everyone, everyone's hand against him, and he shall live at odds with all his kin. She could take comfort in knowing that her submission would provide the way for her baby to be born and taken care of. He would be named Ishmael, a name that means God hears, because God listened to her affliction. Ishmael would be healthy and strong, a nonconformist, 
filled with all the energy and ambition and wild freedom that Hagar must have been longing for in that moment. And Hagar understood something spiritually deep about the Lord. So she named the Lord who spoke to her, You are Eroi. For she said, Have I really seen God and remained alive after seeing him? God gave Hagar back her balance and hope. She realized God had seen her, and the Lord knew her just as she was, understood her with great compassion in her inmost depths and all that concerned her. And she saw God in the angel of the Lord. She also understood the Lord's meaning. She understood the Lord had heard her broken heart, had seen her loneliness, her friendlessness, and God would provide for her, just as she agreed to do as God said. This naming of God by a person is without precedent in the Hebrew Scriptures. No one else was ever given that privilege. Balance and hope are found in Christ. Jesus does understand our deepest thoughts and feelings. As the writer of Hebrews said, Therefore he, Jesus, had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be merciful and faithful as a high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement for the sins of the people, because he himself was tested by what he suffered. He is able to help those who are being tested. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who in every respect has been tested as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And if there ever was a time of need, it's now during this pandemic when there is truly nowhere to turn. We find ourselves at the very end of ourselves. There is still Jesus, who is waiting for us in that very place, and he does understand. There is always a way forward. It's just that we need God's encouragement and balance and hope. The end of Hagar's story was also the beginning. There came a point when Sarah recognized Hagar and Ishmael could no longer be tolerated in the same camp as Sarah and Isaac. And God confirmed to Abraham that Hagar and Ishmael must go. Their destiny was not connected with Abraham anymore. So it was with a heavy heart that Abraham filled a skin with water, a bag with bread, and sent Hagar and Ishmael back into the wilderness with a day's worth of provisions. Without even one guide, or an animal to ride on, it wasn't long before both mother and son were at the point of death, once again, utterly lost, without any resource, and without heart. If it had been like how she felt the first time she came to the end of herself, this time was even worse, because now Hagar was in serious danger of losing the one person who meant more than anything else to her her beloved son, the one God had prophesied over. But where was God now? In that hour, as Hagar lifted up her voice and wept, God intervened. What troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. God had settled a promise 
and a future on both Hagar and Ishmael. And though they had been driven from Abraham's household, they had not been driven out of God's love and care, nor God's promise. In her own despair, rejected, without resources, utterly destitute, with only death before her, it is no wonder Hagar's spirit was broken. But now God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. She went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. I think that must happen in our lives, too. We simply do not see what God has been providing and has had ready for us all along. It was no accident that it was right there at this spot that Hagar had come to the end of herself. God had been waiting there to renew Hagar, the resident alien, and her son Ishmael, God hears. The only thing that had changed in Hagar's circumstances was the Lord's voice, showing her what was already there, what God had already prepared for this very moment. God recast her story from being rejected and sent away to being released from her servitude and sent forward to freedom and the destiny that God had all this time been preparing for her and for her son. In order to live their new life, they would have to leave their old life, which was a destiny never meant for either of them. God's perspective recasts our stories. Loneliness and rejection create real suffering. So how do we process that suffering? How do we explain it to ourselves? God explained Hagar's suffering to her, and God also rescued her by showing her what she had not seen before in her misery, the well of water. There is significance in God showing Hagar the well that she could not see in her own anguish, and then inviting her to drink. You will remember in our study of Exodus, this is how God began relationship with the Israelites, drawing forth water in the desert, making water sweet, causing water to burst forth from a rock. This is how the Lord was showing God as a provider of life, as a source of life. In the same way, Jesus invites you and me to open our eyes and see a well of living water bubbling up. Jesus' imagery of the Holy Spirit. Our lives are made new, made whole, made complete to overflowing. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me, and let the one who believes in me drink. As the Spirit has said, out of the believer's heart shall flow rivers of living water. Now he said this about the Spirit, which believers in him were to receive. God stayed with Hagar and Ishmael from that time on. God was with the boy and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. Once free, Hagar reached out to her people for connection and community and family. And that's what I did too that first year we moved here. Dave and I made it a priority to get involved with the church, with a weekly Bible study, and to volunteer in our children's school. We reached out, and through those steps of faith, God also reached in, in countless wonderfully timed connections which have grown into strong friendships and community. I think about that water 
that God already has prepared for us. But we don't see it because we're just in anguish. I wonder what God has prepared for you and me even today as we try to shoulder through a really difficult and sometimes lonely time. God's perspective recasts our stories. Let's pray. Oh Lord God, thank you for Hagar. Thank you for the way that you preserved her story. Thank you for showing us through her that you really do see us, that each of us is important to you, that you have made it important to reach into our lives, to show us where you've prepared a destiny for us, to provide living water for us every day, to fill us with your life, and to never allow us to be all alone. Thank you for being there. We praise you and love you, O oh God. Amen.